بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمده ونصلی علی رسوله الکریم اما بعد الحمدللہ tonight is the 17th of january in the year 2023 and alhamdulillah we moved on to the fifth week the 29th night that we're going through the illustrious and blessed life of the eminent companion sayyidina anas ibn malik radiyallahu and i spent the session last night in which i was mentioning what he kept from the priceless belongings of our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam and as promised i'm going to summarize at the end so another one of the priceless blessings he had from the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was his blessed handkerchief imam suyuti rahmatullahi in his al khasais al qubra volume 2 page 134 obad ibn abdus samad rahmatullahi he said One day we went to the dwelling of Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu He asked his maid servant to lay down the dining mat and bring the handkerchief The handkerchief she brought we noticed needed to be washed He thereupon subhanallah instructed her to put the handkerchief into the fire So somebody report so he's invited some of his uh his students maybe some of the companions and he's put the dastakhan i the the leather mat on the floor and then he asked for the handkerchief so obviously that was a strange thing to request at the beginning of a meal so the second strange thing was it was not clean and the third astounding thing he put it into the fire after a while when it was taken out of the fire Subhanallah it was as white as milk so we were shocked and we asked what is the secret of this sayyidana anas replied radiyallahu this is the handkerchief that rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam would wipe his luminous face with those whenever we need to wash it we just put it into the fire for anything that touches the blessed faces of the noble prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam salatu wassalam is forbidden to the fire subhanallah so look how beautiful he not only invited them he wanted to show them one of the blessed articles of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and also a miracle so imagine what that did to their iman but not he did not say it's only for the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam because anything that touches the blessed faces of the prophets is forbidden to the fire i think about that as a hadith So who was the one who carried our beloved messenger in her womb full term Amina radiyallahu so it doesn't take a brain surgeon to work out well if the fire is forbidden to something that touches the face of the prophets then what about the one who carries the entire prophet alayhi salatu wasalam so note Anas where did he get this from so again note the peace and blessings of almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon all the prophets and messengers alayhi salatu wasalam another priceless blessing muhammad ibn sirin his student rahmatullah alayhi said sayyidina anas ibn malik radiyallahu had in his possession a staff that had belonged to rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and that when he passed away it was buried with him between his side and his shirt subhanallah 
So let's look at this. So is this authentic? So this narration is recorded in Bazaar in his Musnad. He states, We know of no one who narrated this except Makhul ibn Rashid, who was truthful but somewhat Shia. It is therefore considered in that light. Behaki relates it and echoed the weak nature of his accounts is thus clearly evident. Ibn Kathir Sira, volume 4, page 509 to 10 of the English translation. So there's a, a Shia in the chain. So now, what does it mean? Entirely truthful. The Rawafid, that's their trademark that they like. So this means he wasn't an extreme. He maybe had, you know, a slight inclination towards their, their views. But the scholars have stated because he's in the chain, he goes, the weak nature is clear. Whatever the case, Imam Bazar said he is truthful, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, he's somewhat reliable. And that's why Hafiz ibn Kathir recorded it in Al-Bidayah. So now let's look at the report. So what does it say? Anas had the staff of the Prophet And when Anas passed away, he will, it was buried with him between his side and his shirt. So let's summarize. Subhanallah. Sayyidina Anas had the following priceless blessings of Rasulullah You could say there are six. The first, the priceless sweat of our beloved messenger. Number two, the priceless hair of our beloved messenger. Number three, the priceless wooden ball of our beloved messenger. Number four, the priceless sandals of our beloved messenger. Number five, the priceless handkerchief of our beloved messenger. And number six, the priceless stuff of our beloved messenger. So why or what on earth was he collecting them for? They were obviously used for tabarruk. Seeking blessings and getting one's needs fulfilled through them from Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thus how strange that some ignorant Muslims consider this to be shirk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbid. So not why are they thinking like that? Because they haven't looked at the Sahaba. Would any orthodox Muslim dare say the Sahaba were teaching you shirk? It is impossible to make that statement. There are teachers. In fact, when they do something which we think is strange, it's not strange. Because they are our teachers. So, if you collected just one thing from the Prophet, you haven't got an argument because he still collected one thing from the Prophet. He collected six. So, what's he doing with all this? Right? So, teaching you, look, these are blessings. Allah Ta'ala gives. And this is why what's interesting, you got the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is where the Bani Israel had the relics of their Prophets. Musa, Harun, the staffs of the Holy Prophet Musa and Harun sandals, manna and salwa which they was given miraculously in, in the desert. And there was a zikr in there as well, which is, mashallah, La ilaha illallah alimun kareem. And what's interesting about that, that was mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because what goes through your heart? We haven't got access to those blessings. Well, we have got access to one blessing, that zikr, the Prophet gave it to us. He goes, there's a zikr in that, so what does that mean? This can be used as the barak. <laughs> La ilaha illallah alimun kareem. Translation, there is no God but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the all-knowing and the most noble. <laughs> so don't try to work it out. 
right? This is what's mentioned in the hadith in Sa'id ibn Mansur. So that's the Ark of the Covenant. But was that blessed Ark comparable to what Anas had? Think about that. People, you know, get so fascinated by the blessed Ark. MashaAllah. Well, if you look at what Anas had, you're thinking we don't find differentiation between the prophets. But the last and final messenger was honored above others. And Anas had six mm. belongings of the Prophet that allowed it. So note, now, the other thing which is interesting, most of us, when we have the honor of going to these honorable belongings, we do it to secure the forgiveness of our sins. What sins were these people committing? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, we got all these du'as of the Prophet He was his servant. He sees him every night in his dream. Why? Because that shows that they, they're never happy with their state. They always want to get more and more from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's another lesson for us. We should never be happy with our state. Some people think I'm alright now. <laughs> alright, why? We think you're alright. You go to paradise. If you don't know, I think I'm doing enough. You're not doing enough. Look, learn from the Sahaba. Allah ta'ala. So let's move on to another subsection. His witnessing some of the endless miracles of our beloved messenger so don't forget all of this I'm discussing he was 20 years old when Rasulullah passed away so just imagine what he cramped into those 20 years so now let's discuss the miracles with such intimacy with our beloved messenger it then now would come as no surprise to learn that this most fortunate man experienced many a blessed miracle in his august and unparalleled company. Take the following few examples from a truly caught Lord of Grain. So all these relations which are miracles, which I'm going to mention, they're recorded in Sayyid Bukhari and Muslim, depending. So think about that. Why? Because some people, they have a problem with miracles. Because, oh, where did you get this from? Bukhari and Muslim. But if you know what that is, then you think, it must be true. So let's look at the first one. Let's start off with regards to the miracle of water. So this narration is recorded in Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Mishkat, Volume 4, Number 134, in the chapter on his miracles. Anas relates, Once the people were affected by a drought during the lifetime of Rasulullah, Whilst Rasulullah was delivering the khutbah on the day of congregation Friday, a Bedouin stood up or stands up and said, Ya Rasulullah, properties have been destroyed and families are starving. So please invoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for our sake. So let's look at this. So what's interesting, the Prophet is with them, there's a drought. So what does that mean? It means that if Allah wants something to happen, it happens, no matter who's on the earth. Some people think that, you know, we got righteous people. You're going to live, you know, <laughs> like Beverly Hills, right? And the answer is no. Allah sometimes tests you. So there's a drought. So now what's interesting? Why didn't any of the senior Sahaba get up? So the response is, the Sahaba said, we love the Bedouins. <laughs> because they had more courage than us. <laughs> So not a Bedouin. And what's interesting is, Jumma Khutbah. <laughs> Do you get up when the Imam's doing the Khutbah? Mm-hmm. He goes, look, properties are getting destroyed. Families, make dua. Mm-hmm. On hearing these words, 
the Prophet raised up his hands whilst we did not see any sign of a cloud in the sky. So picture this heat. Complete blue sky. Heat blasting. Medina Sharif. So they're looking up thinking, okay, nothing there. By the one in whose hands there is my life, he did not put them down until the clouds spread like mountains. So imagine, blue, completely blue. How long does this take? So within a second, even, you can't even picture it because clouds don't move that fast. It was like they were on, you know, fast motion. They just came, you know, like mountains. Thereafter, it, it didn't rain, the clouds came. Thereafter, he did not get down from the pulpit till I saw the rain falling down upon his beard. Now, why did he mention his beard? That's interesting. <laughs> and the response is obviously, I keep saying it again and again, the Prophet had a decent sized beard. <laughs> Otherwise, you, you know, that statement doesn't make any sense. You know, his beard got wet. But he hasn't got a beard. Right? So the response is, he was highlighting he had a, you know, he had a lengthy beard. Subhanallah, indeed the rain continued till the next Friday. <laughs> so now what happened? He's finished, so there's the khutbah, rain's coming down. For seven days it's raining. Is that normal? <laughs> and in that part of the world. <laughs> Thereupon that Bedouin from the previous Friday or another one stood up. So honestly, I can't remember. I don't know whether it was the same Bedouin. It might have been. But definitely another Bedouin. Now what's interesting, Bedouin again? Why didn't leave the senior sahaba? Because Ya Rasulullah, please, you know, can you like make a dua to stop the rain? Bedouin. And what did he say? He goes, Ya Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, structures have been damaged. Properties have been submerged. Please invoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for us to stop the rain. He raised his hand, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and said, O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, around us, not on us. Meaning, let the rain go somewhere else, but stop it from falling upon us. Luqa'ana said, Subhanallah, he did not point to any of the clouds, but it dissolved. <laughs> so, he made that dua, and then he started pointing. And then you get a hole in the cloud, wherever he pointed. <laughs> Imagine you're witnessing this. <laughs> and Al-Madina became like a shield. And the valley of Qana flowed down for the month, meaning that they had so much surplus water. Indeed, none came from any part outside of Al-Madina, but told us that it had rained profusely. So what happened? The Prophet made that dua. He goes, send the rain around us. So where is it recorded? This is important to highlight. <laughs> when you hear it, go, I think somebody's got a little bit hot under the collar here, got too excited. Bukhari and Muslim. <laughs> So let's note the miracles. You can mention five. Number one, clouds spreading like mountains upon the first door. No rain though. Number two, the rain only falling when he came off the pulpit. Why? Allah Ta'ala didn't want to disturb the khutbah, showing the importance of the khutbah. Number three, the rain fell for an entire week. Third miracle. Number four, the rain spreading to the outer reaches of Al-Madinah upon his second door. And number five, his pointing to the, gra the grey clouds and their opening up for him. So who was the one who narrated that famous report? Anas, how old was he? Teenager. 
So you're telling me that's not going to affect him. <laughs> so he's narrating it, and that's why we keep saying it again and again, hearing is not like seeing. So even when we hear it, 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 it defies comprehension. We imagine you saw it. And I saw it, narrated it, radiallahu. So this was water. Another example. In Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Ahmad in his Musnad, Al-Bidaya, volume 6, page 93, Mishkat, volume 4, number 142, in the chapter on his miracles, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 5, page 566 of the New English Translation, Anas, radiallahu, he said, A stone bowl was once brought to Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whilst he was at Zawrah. So, what do we use? You, what do we use a stone bowl for? Normally, chutney. You know that bowl that you, you know, chutney. You, know, you, you grind things. He, so a stone bowl was brought to him. He was at a place called Zohra. He, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, placed his hand into the bowl, and then, subhanallah, water began to spring forth from between his fingers. So he placed his hand into the bowl. Water is now pouring out. The companions performed wudu. Qatada added, I asked Anas, how many were you at the time? He said, 300 or more. You all did wudu. So, where is this recorded? Bukhari and Muslim. Who's narrating it? Anas. But you need to now add details. Why was the Prophet doing that? You go to other reports. In Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Nasa'i Tirmidhi Ahmad, Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 5, page 565-6 of the New English Translation. Anas, he said, The time for Asr had arrived. And I saw people looking for water to make wudu, but they were unable to find any. Meaning it's time for Salat, and they're desperate, there's no water. Finally, when some water was brought for Rasulullah to make wudu, he placed his hand in the stone utensil. And instructed the people to make wudu from it. Subhanallah, I actually saw the water gushing from beneath Rasulullah's fingers. And every single person was able to make wudu from that water. So now, what's the best way to describe it? Marjolin Daba. Right? So you get you know, a Marjolin container. You fill it with a bit of water. You put your hand into it. What's that going to do? Water's now coming out like springs. And 300 plus Sahaba did wudu with it. Now think about it. When they did wudu, do you think they were going to do a faradi wudu? They were going to get full white blessings. But now, you need to go into this a bit. Where was the water coming from? So Imam Nawawi, he commented, in Sharh Sahih Muslim, volume 2, page 245, there are two opinions about this miraculous spring of water. The scholar said there's two views. The first view, water came out of his very fingers and sprang from their own selves, which is a greater miracle than getting it sprung from the stone ball itself. This opinion is supported by the purport of the narrative, which says, I saw water springing from his fingers. So what's more miraculous, water coming out of the fingers or from the stone? So Imam Nawawi said from the fingers. Mm. Then he said, second view, it is probable that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala multiplied the existing water itself from the stone bowl itself so that it started to pass between his fingers, nor from their own, not from their own selves. So have you understood the difference? Mm. So there's a bit of water. 
One is that water didn't multiply. The water was coming out of the fingers of the Prophet. So that's a, a more amazing miracle. The second is no, Allah Ta'ala made that existing water multiply. This is where the scholars have differed. Then look what Imam Nawawi said. Those, whatever the reality, both represent a distinct miracle, a marvelous sign. Because that's just a fine point. You don't start saying, well, it's not that amazing, is it? <laughs> right? Either way, his mind boggling. And who is the one who narrated this? Anas. <laughs> How blessed and memorable must that wudu have been for such noble and most deserving souls? And let's add this. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he was there. He said something very interesting. I was hastening towards it before other people and filling of it my stomach. Because Rasulullah said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Al-Barakah are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. This is in Abu Nu'im in his Delay in Nubu'a, page 144, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 5, page 5, 6, 7 to 8 of the New English Translation. Bukhari in his Sahih and Al-Bidayah, volume 6, page 97, relate similar. So what happened? Ibn Masood, he was known for this. He saw the water and he goes, I darted towards the Prophet. He goes, I ran towards him. And he goes, and look how interesting. Do you fill your stomach with wudu? He started drinking it. And he goes, I just kept drinking and drinking. Because the Prophet said, Barakah. This is blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So look how beautiful. You go to other sahab, you get another image. Anas is narrating. Ibn Masood giving his own personal, you know, you know, account of that incident. And then there's another report. In Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Al-Bidayah, volume 6, page 96, Ayyadah Sahaba, volume 5, page 567 of the New English Translation, Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, volume 2, page 98, and Abu Nu'im in his Dala al-Nubu'ah, page 144, relate similar. Jabr, radiyallahu, he said, the companions, radiyallahu ta'ala anhum, suffered a shortage of water during their stay at Hudaybiyah. So where's this? Hudaybiyah is the name of a well that was there. It is situated 22 kilometers to the west of Makkah on the road to Jeddah. And only the Rasulullah had a leather bag of water with him from which he made wudu. So stop in the report. So Hudaybiyah is famous. Why? Because the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Hudaybiyah, when you actually land in Jeddah, you know, traveling to Makkah, you go past it. And people don't realize it's a holy place. Hudaybiyah. That is where the treaty was signed. Where Allah revealed verses praising the companions. There used to be a well there. I don't think the well is there anymore. How far is it from Makkah? 22 kilometers. That's about 10, 10 miles from Makkah. It's quite close to Makkah. And who had the water? The Prophet. Only the Prophet had water. He did wudu with it. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The companions were close to tears when they came to him and he said, what's the matter? They replied, we have no water with which to make wudu or to drink. All the water there is, is that which is before you, Ya Rasulullah. Rasulullah thereupon placed his hand in the bag of water. And subhanallah, water started to flow from between his fingers like a spring. The companions thereupon had enough to make wudu and also drank the blessed water. When somebody asked how many were they, Jabir said, if it was a hundred thousand, it would have been enough. But we were fifteen hundred. 
So let's look at this. So this is recorded in Bukhari and Muslim. So now question. Which other religion has such authentic references with regards to miracles of their prophets? You know, think about that. Allah, Allah has preserved it, not in history, in revelation. As if to say, look, I'm going to take you back in time, even though you weren't there. I'm going to make you here as if you're there observing it. So now, this is what's happening on a daily basis, imagine. So now, look at the end part, very interesting. Why do they keep asking these questions? Because how many were there? Yeah, if you think about it, you know, that shows that there's a weakness of Iman here. So Jabur, he got irritated. What did he say? Even if there were 100,000, it would have been enough. But then he goes, but there were around 1,500. So who were the 1,500? The blessed souls who pledged allegiance under the tree. They were in Ihram and they were prevented from doing Umrah. Now think about that. When you mentioned the treaty of Hudaybiyah and then in Ihram, they were devastated, the Sahab, because they wanted to do Umrah. They could go back, come back next year. Wasn't this a great honor for them? Allah said, knew that they were feeling a bit low, so he gave them a miracle. Is that often mentioned when talking about Hudaybiyah? So they did wudu and they drank, mashallah, another miracle from the blessed hands of the Prophet. So Anas noticed, though he was young, how old was he in, in the year of Hudaybiyah? He was uh, 16, 17. So don't get this impression, he's like 36, 35, you know, he's, he's still a teenager and he's narrating all this. So what impact was that having upon him? No, Allah, what if you think about that? So all I mentioned today was basically summarizing some of the sacred uh, belongings which Anas graciously received from our beloved messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And of course he was using this for tabarruq. And then I'm now mentioning some of the endless miracles which he witnessed in front of the Prophet through the most authentic references indicating what impact this was going to have upon them. So now just to conclude, why did Allah the Almighty and Glorious make the companions witness these miracles? Because they had the greatest burden. They had to spread Islam all over the world. There could not be any doubt in their iman. Have you understood? Now think about it. Could we take on the Persian Empire? And the response is, we could, but our Iman's weak. Could we take on the Roman Empire? We could, but our Iman's weak. This is why Allah was doing this. So the Sahaba were ready, because we've got no doubt that we've seen what you people haven't seen. It was preparing them. Have you understood? That's why when they took on these, you know, it was a joke to them. They thought, what was this? But when we're narrating, we get a bit cabra. You know, it's, what's funny is the narrators getting cabra. In Yermuk, the odds were 10 to 1 against them. In the Qadisiyat, 10, 15 to 1 against them. And then, why are you getting cabra for? Sahaba won cabra. Why weren't they? Because they were taught and they saw and Allah prepared them. And that makes absolute sense. But according to the Rawafi, they were Munafiqs. Mashallah, Munafiqs by Islam. Are there any uh, questions <laughs> you'd like to ask? Subhanallah <laughs>